Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. I never thought I'd uh, do or say that we'd go back into Palmer. We had such a huge campaign a couple of years ago, um, reformulating a lot of products, came in for a lot of personal criticism, but raised a lot of awareness and helped push um, and lobby the, the industry to be- better practices. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, out of the 450-odd lines where we took palm oil out, we replaced about 250 with uh, sunflower oil. Now, we've obviously prioritised other oils like rapeseed oil um, as, as best we can, uh, but there's about 25 to 50 products where, hopefully, temporarily, we have to go back into palm oil. It's worth saying it pales into insignificance in, in terms of you know, the horrors of what's happening in Ukraine. But, um, uh, it, was, it was a difficult decision and very much an unexpected consequence of war. And, um, and I think it goes to show that environmentalism relies on uh, peace. And, and without that, it's very, very difficult. That was Richard Walker, Managing Director of UK grocery retailer Iceland Foods, speaking to attendees at Retail Week Live earlier this year, as he explained how the food supply crisis created by Russia's invasion of Ukraine is really affecting the industry. Hello and welcome to the Retail Exchange podcast with me, Carl McKeever. In this special episode, we look at one of the biggest supply chain challenges to affect both retail and global food supplies in decades. Russia's effective blockade of Ukraine's Black Sea ports has forced it to seek alternative methods of exporting nearly 25 million tonnes of grains. With supply chain delays continuing to see global food prices soar, the pressure is on to find solutions. As a result, the European Commission recently launched an action plan called Ukraine Solidarity Lanes. To discuss how the plan aims to get Ukrainian agricultural produce back in motion and the challenges that lie ahead, I'm joined today by Serge Shamshula, Senior Partner Manager, and Georgia Leiborn, CMO at Transporian, a key supporter of the initiative. Welcome to you both. So, Serge, since the start of this year, we've all been rapidly trying to understand and learn about the role that Ukraine plays in feeding the world. But from your expert perspective, can you just outline that for us? In a nutshell, indeed, uh, the Ukraine is one of the world's leaders and largest producers of agricultural produce. Whether it's uh, sunflower oil, whether it's a grain, or if it's wheat or, or corn, uh, there's a significant market share. Uh, and uh, this uh, produce is needed to feed the world. So it's a significant amount. Indeed, and uh, um, very unfortunately, uh, when the crisis or war has has started, a couple of countries had declared they would try their best to fill the gap, which was starting to open up. Among those countries, you found India or Italy, for example. Unfortunately, in parallel, we have seen weather which was... uh, striking back. The lack of water in India, in Italy, uh, made these governments retract very soon from the promises they have given, as Italy is falling short by its agricultural produce by 15%, if not more than that. And the same applies to India. So we are facing a double-headed issue here. So, of course, it's a massive crisis for now, but also as we can think about food security in the future, getting the harvest from Ukraine becomes even more important as we face an unreliable future in terms of weather and food production within the continent of Europe. Yeah, and and, uh, some transit routes also see other difficulties. 
Georgia, question for you. I don't want to make any assumptions here. We've all seen the news reports. You know, we've been very aware of the situation unfolding over in Ukraine. But what are the kind of problems which have affected Ukraine grain exports specifically since the conflict began? The majority of the exports from Ukraine were coming out via the sea. And the seas are now war-torn and ravaged, and the ships simply can't sail safely. There is an agreement underway at the moment, so there are some small shipments being made again um, in the last month. But the, the main crux of the issue was how to get that 25 million tonnes of agricultural produce out via the inland roadways and waterways as an alternative to the sea. Yeah, I think around about 40 ships, only 40 ships have actually been licensed to make those deliveries. So I guess it's an absolute drop in the ocean, no pun intended, in terms of the actual normal routes of transport that would be used for getting grain out of Ukraine. One of the things Serge and I love to say is that every grain counts at the moment. So even if it is a, a tiny drop in the ocean, it's a drop in the ocean more than we had a month or two ago. But the good news is, and this is something I was delighted to hear when I caught up with the, the European Commission, Serge and others last week, was that they have now shifted in the last couple of months 10 million tonnes in total using sea, land and rail. So we are making progress in the right direction. It's more than a drop in the ocean, but it's still not where it needs to be. So it's it's trending positively but we need to keep pushing and raising awareness for the Solidarity Lanes project to ensure that every logistics player out there who has capacity and availability is able to join in and increase the exports of that grain. The estimations by the Ukraine authorities are that we talk about 60 million tons of grain until the end of the year. So indeed, it's great to get 10 million out of 25 out, but <laughs> the next the next 35 are already on the way. So, Serge, you're very involved in Solidarity Lanes. Can you tell us what this is? What's its aim? What are you wanting to do? Well, uh, in Transporn, we uh, have been looking at the situation discussed with the European Commission and uh, focused on three different uh, regards. On one hand, simply supporting all the stakeholders to get the agricultural products out of the Ukraine with our logistics network, bringing people together in parallel. That turned into organizing and offering procurement events. And third, providing a visibility map for all stakeholders in the industry, because we see that there's still a lot of hesitation around in the industry, in the supply chain, on, on to really act and uh, we were having interviews with a couple of stakeholders to figure out where the hesitation comes from. And it primarily comes from the fact that every national government, every organization is acting on its own and uh, is playing its own game uh, instead of working together and collaborating. And this is, this is in, in principle, the feedback we've got from the stakeholders that the problem does not lie in the hardware, the problem lies in in the organizations which are not coordinated and harmonized at all. People are not used to, to work together, they are more working in silos. Everyone acts on its own, nothing is harmonized, uh, and that, that is the real issue as we speak. So, so is it a case simply that the bureaucracy isn't 
necessarily aligned. And actually, as you say, whilst people will appreciate the nature of the problem, what people have got to do is to kind of get behind it with the spirit of solving this in a collaborative way. And I suppose that's where the whole Solidarity Lanes project, you know, the clue is in the title, solidarity as in acting together and working together. You got it, Carl. That is the absolute premise and core of the Solidarity Lanes initiative is to get people to think outside of their usual modus operandi and consider the possibilities for how they can get involved and help and transcend some of that bureaucracy. And that's where we've seen some phenomenal stories of great collaboration and great support and great interoperability between organizations, people and hardware. But we've also seen some blockages and some challenges which again, we are working to overcome and working through the challenges. It was always, we were always going to be faced with some challenges in our way. And um, again, speaking to the European Commission last week, they are on top of them. They are working through them. They're trying to resolve any of the issues that they've come across and they are making phenomenal progress. Again, just to kind of almost underline this, there's action at many levels, isn't there? You know, there's plenty of examples around Europe where retailers and retail staff have also taken some initiative here to actually, you know, get vehicles, be able to be given time off to actually help the the crisis effort in Ukraine. But really what you guys are trying to do is, is leverage higher power here and really try and go beyond what individual people can do and actually take this to the corporate and take this to the intergovernmental. Georgia, you've mentioned a couple of times that um, you met recently with the European Commission. Could you just tell us a little bit about those um, discussions and what's been achieved? So Serge and I jumped on a call with them really just to align on feedback from their end and feedback from our end as to what we were seeing in terms of relationships that had been made, connections, positive discussions that were ongoing. They were also very, very pragmatic about some of the negative press that we've heard about these blockages at borders. And again, I would reiterate that when you are ramping up a logistics process from scratch, you have to remember that there's a lot of people movement across those borders. There's a lot of fear, concern and uncertainty. So, yes, it is frustrating and it is unnecessary bureaucracy when trucks get stuck. But as I say, they have confirmed that they're working through it. They're working with individual governments, with individual organisations, with individuals to ratify these problems and smooth the pathways across Europe. I have found their energy, passion and enthusiasm for this initiative to be absolutely off the charts. It is, it, it touches on my heart. It really, really touches on my heart. And you mentioned retail earlier on. And one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you today, Carl, is because you have this extraordinary retail community who are in the process of moving goods from A to B consistently in order to manage their own businesses. If they have capacity in their transportation network, get in touch because we would be delighted to use their transportation network and their vehicles to help us get additional grain out of the Ukraine. 
No, and that's an amazing message for you to literally bring into the episode and any of those retailers which are listening that do want to lend support, see what they can do to help, please get in touch because this is such a worthy project. Um, and the whole Solidarity Lanes plan includes you know, specific action points for pooling of rail and logistics, uh, equipment by member states and, and people within those countries. So what are some of the practicalities? Just you know, really paint us a picture here of what the Solidarity Lanes project is trying to overcome. Well, one of the things that um, Serge was talking about earlier, which I think is crucial to this project, is what we consider to be visibility of available channels and capacity across those channels. And this is really where, where Transborian was trying to lend its support, was by opening up that visibility for the general logistics community so that they could make best practice decisions on where, when and how they could assist with this project. So I think visibility is absolutely crucial. But the other aspect really does come back to collaboration. Uh, Serge said it beautifully earlier. This is not about one person or one truck or one train. It's about a number of companies, individuals and governmental bodies and countries pooling together to make it happen rather than thinking about ourselves and what we can do for our own individual benefit or our own company benefit. And in layman's terms, we're talking here about almost being a matchmaking service here uh, in terms of being able to get vehicles, transportation routes, manpower, all lined up together with the single focus purpose of moving grain expediently out of Ukraine. You know, we have had hundreds of inquiries coming through to our website from suppliers in Ukraine, from logistics service providers, from shippers, from people who are ready, willing and able to lend their support. And manually and through technology, we have been pairing them together and, and giving them the opportunity to negotiate a way forward. We're just trying to create an environment where the left hand can meet the right hand and then they can agree how they move things forward. And that, I know Serge and, and the team that's supporting him, that is the joy they get whenever they manage to connect two parties together who they know will be able to make magic happen. That's the beauty of being involved in this project from our end. So if I understand correctly, then, the role that Transporian is trying to um, fulfil here and sounds as if it's been very successful in doing so, is you are actually facilitating people coming together. Precisely. And the traditional way to deal with that uh, over the last years was that you've got an issue, you call one supplier, you call the second option, you call the third option in a sequence. Uh, the uh, opportunity we see with our logistics network, which is the largest one uh, we see in Europe, is that you can do this in parallel. You're not asking one potential supplier, you're asking all the potential suppliers together with a couple of other uh, people who have a similar problem uh, in parallel and you get much faster response and you get a res response from the entire market and not just a, a small portion of that, which might sometimes work on a different level, but not, not for such a, 
undertaking. Uh, yesterday, we we're recording this uh, podcast interview the day after Ukraine's Day of Independence, uh, where it marked 31 years of its separation from the Soviet Union. Boris Johnson, as we know, was uh, in town and promising aid. Joe Biden, similarly from the USA, was pr promising more aid and more weapons to Ukraine to help them win the war. At the start of this conflict, there was clearly a lot of public desire to help. People were rightly outraged and very upset at what they saw. But of course, in recent weeks, there has also been a similar comment that people are starting to tire or maybe some of the enthusiasm to get involved. Or, you know, it's just become a little bit old news. Of course, not for people that are actually there on the ground. They're living this brutality day to day. But from your perspective, have you seen anybody lessening their commitment or is the focus still high? I haven't seen any waning of enthusiasm for this project at all in terms of the inquiries we've been receiving, in terms of the efforts the teams are making. I honestly believe that this waning of, of spirit is more of a news cycle issue than it is the true essence of, of human mankind. Um, I, 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 I truly believe that people are still fully up for helping it. And one of the reasons why we've been so vocal on the topic is because this is the essence of what Transporian does as a business. We bring people together so that they can solve transportation problems. So Solidarity Lanes is just an extension of what we do on a daily basis, but it's our way of, of making our contribution. No, the enthusiasm, the need from all parties involved is there and it's unbroken. Uh, Still, some people uh, on a daily basis are hesitating. Should I now put my, 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 my uh, achievements in practice uh, and execute it on the left and on the right? So there's indeed some hesitation at some of the stakeholders. But in general, uh, the things haven't changed a lot. Uh, and uh, the majority of the industry and the stakeholders are moving forward, trying to keep pushing partially the authorities in doing a better job and harmonizing their own uh, uh, hurdles and, and measures with, with the neighborhoods. We have something coming out very shortly which will showcase uh, an individual success from this project uh, where one of the parties who was connected with another party to export grain is going to put pen to paper to showcase the achievement that they've made, but also in terms of the impact that's had both on Ukrainian agricultural supply, but also on their own organization for getting involved in the project. So we'll give you a heads up when we've published that article and um, you'll be able to see firsthand the impact this pro program is having. This problem that we're talking about and that you guys are so actively involved in trying to solve is, is no way regional or European specifically, it's global. How do you feel that this whole awareness of the fact that we're living in such a globalised world will change attitudes in the future? Not just necessarily attitudes in the minds of consumers, but also in the way that companies organise themselves. You know, some of these logistics challenges that you have here going across different borders, do you think these will become bigger, long-term projects where people, you know, really become very focused and saying, look, this is something which we've discovered along the way, but we should have sorted this out years ago. Like uh, Sir uh, John Maynard Keynes uh, had said, about 100 years ago, the problem lies not in the new ideas, but in escaping from the old ones. Uh, so 
the immediate reaction was just to think in boxes. So yesterday I sourced all my products in China. Do I have to research nearshore uh, and source all my products in Europe in the future? Or uh, I've been I've been using Siberian uh, railways uh, for for my supply. Now I need to go back uh, into into taking vessels passing the South China Sea, which could be one of the areas where we have the next trouble. So people are still trying to to think in rigid boxes and long-term plans. These long-term plans don't work anymore in an environment which is impacted by that many disruptions as we have seen. And these disruptions are not going to cease. And I'm not primarily looking into politics or global politics when I say so. Uh, just the climate change brings with a lot of uh, interruptions into our supply chain. Uh, and the only answer to me is to uh, think in alternatives, to use data to make better decisions now, not data we have collected 18 months ago based on data which is four years back. Uh, we need to use today's data, real-time data, feed it into our systems and, and think in alternatives. But we, we need to see that we source the products partially in China, partially in Europe, partially elsewhere. We need to see that we, we uh, are able to make transportation um, in different modalities and keep that alive in parallel. For good reasons, it might be useful to, to produce 50% of a product in China and ship it via vessel, but not a 100%. We must make an end to this rigid thinking. We must and use the data we've got for better decisions not just for the environment, but for ourselves. And this, of course, goes to perhaps one of the biggest challenges within businesses generally is, is to what extent do we compete or to what extent do we collaborate? And maybe what we're talking about here is, is actually there is a place for both. And as long as we get the, the right parts of collaboration working well together, then that actually is for the common good. Absolutely. And I think collaboration, Carl, is at the core here. And it doesn't inhibit competition in any way, shape or form. But, you know, one of the things that I think is crucial for people to understand is that when you are talking about shipping goods from A to B, there are two parties involved. So you can have the best logistics operation in company A, but if company B is flawed, then shipping from A to B is going to be problematic. It's the problem in between. It's the challenge in between that's important. And that begs for collaboration between two entities. And you asked earlier on, um, you know, about the sort of aftermath of this war and have we, have we rediscovered problems that were existing since the beginning? Yes, of course we have. It's, it's exactly the same as the impact of the pandemic on retail. You realize during and after the crisis that you should have addressed some of these challenges years ago in terms of interoperability, collaboration, network thinking, overcoming legacy technology, and the importance of agility and being able to pivot quickly. And to echo Serge, it's not black or white. It's not one answer or the other. It's the intermodality, the diversity of options available, the ambidextrous nature of creating your logistics network so that you can pivot quickly. 
So if we can look to the future and let's let's try and focus on a time when the conflict is gone and we're now in a rebuilding phase. Do you think that the industry generally, and I'm talking about the food supply industry here, is going to start thinking differently about logistics and supply chains and how it needs to really not just focus on just moving forward, but actually on solving some of the basics and getting some of the things which have been a problem now worked through, sorted out and improved so that should we have any food supply situations again, that we're better prepared next time around. An absolute key lesson here is the Ukrainian agricultural community were relying 100% on shipping out via the sea. When that channel got cut off, they didn't know what to do. They had a huge challenge on their hands. If they had done what Serge suggested and they had a, a multimodal approach to exporting grain... It would have been a case of ramping up volume across rail and road rather than creating an infrastructure from scratch. So every single business should be thinking about risk management and contingency planning and ensure they have a backup plan for when that particular channel is compromised. Because you say beautifully, Carl, when the war is over and we're rebuilding, but what's coming next? Look at what's hit us in the last two years economic strife, famine, flood, pandemic, and now the war. I mean, who knows what's coming next? And the logistics industry needs to be poised to respond in an agile and flexible fashion to whatever the world throws at them. One of the things that I always think is very interesting in what we've just been through for the last couple of years is, you know, just how retailers have demonstrated that flexibility in their thinking and how retailers, which had been possibly driven from a centre, suddenly released that control and gave power back to the stores. People in the stores were incredibly innovative in solving problems, coming up with new solutions. You know, maybe one of the things that the transport industry needs to consider is bringing in some of these voices from retail, because clearly they have got some tremendously able teams, people who are themselves moving, transporting goods, organising their own logistics, perhaps having some kind of hothouse or forum bringing these people together could give the traditional logistics industry a fresh shot of new thinking and perhaps some creativity that might stimulate some new ideas. Carl, I think you're spot on that retail has a lot to offer other industries in terms of the lessons they've learned from a logistics perspective over the last few years. I actually come from a retail background and and what I saw during the pandemic in terms of resilience and alternative solutions and finding ways through and keeping supply chains moving, it was a phenomenal effort by the retail industry as a whole. And one of the things, again, in the spirit of collaboration and creating a network that we are doing here um, from a transportation perspective within Transporian is comparing and contrasting challenges and solutions across industries. There are huge similarities as you move from retail to manufacturing to FMCG to paper and steel to chemical, but there are also a lot of differences. But that doesn't mean to say that the solutions that one industry has come up with can't be trans-created, if you like, for another industry. So collaboration across industry is crucial. And one of the phrases that I love in this situation is different but not difficult and I think if people were to focus on that that is where we find that you know green space where we can find new solutions. Oh and you could apply that to so much more than just transportation and logistics if you think about it in a lot of the political and negotiations situations we have 
uh, different but not difficult. Absolutely. Let's let's have a mantra. Let's get that trending. Hashtag different but not difficult. Yes. <laughs> That's the one. And we'll give Carl McKeever full credit for that one. <laughs> now, look, we're coming to the end of the, uh, our discussion and, and obviously we're now starting to talk about how people can get involved. And, you know, hashtags are, are, are one thing, but more practically, if retailers, transport operators, trade associations, anybody who listens to this episode and feels compelled to want to get involved, how can they help? How do they contact you? What's the best route for them to get their voice heard? The simplest way is to go on to transporian.com forward slash solidarity lanes. It's as simple as that. transporian.com forward slash solidarity lanes. You can contact us from there. We'll pick up the phone and give you a ring and let you know how you can get involved, dependent on your specific circumstances. I'd really like to thank my guests. Um, Serge, Georgia, your commitment to this is just outstanding. I can see that you are you know, delighted with everything that's happening, but you really want more and more people to get in, involved and to jump on board. Uh, I couldn't think of a, a more worthy cause. This grain is important to feed nations and without it, people will starve. So this is probably one of our most important messages as a podcast ever. And it's been my absolute pleasure to have you as our guest today to come along and share this very important message with our listeners. Thank you both. If you're interested to find out more about how your business can get involved in the EU-Ukraine Solidarity Lanes initiative, visit www.transporian.com slash solidarity lanes. That's www.transporian.com slash solidarity lanes. But for now, for this special episode, thanks to my guests, Serge Shamshula, Senior Partner Manager, and Georgia Laybourne, CMO at Transporian. I've been Carl McKeever, and thanks for listening. <laughs>